Hello, welcome to another episode of the Green Blob Podcast. This week, with COP27 having started, we're going to be having a look back to COP26 and a look at some of the issues uh, swirling around kind of the current predicaments of COP27 ethically. Um, so to contextualise this a little bit, well, first I should say hello to my guest. Welcome back to the studio, Will. Hello. I'm back. <laughs> How was your week sabbatical from podcasting? Oh, very nice. I got a lot of reading done about terrorism and just the general normal stuff in my course. <laughs> very, very lighthearted. Very lighthearted. <laughs> Brilliant. And Zenzo, welcome again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. Always happy to do this and um, yeah, share ideas and debate stuff. Fantastic. Well, we'll crack on with contextualising COP27. Um, and I've prepared a little quiz for you, as seems to be a theme with this show. <laughs> hey. Oh, here we um, go. So, question one, just jump in. We, you know what, let's make this competitive. We'll do Will versus Senzo, so oh, no. you can right. buzz yeah. in with a sound. <laughs> uh, so, Will, what's your buzz? Bzz. Okay, Zenzo, what's your buzz sound? Beep. Fantastic, there we go. So, buzz in when you've got your answer. Question one, what does COP stand for? Beep. Conference of the Parties. Correct. One point to Zenzo. <laughs> question two, where was the first COP held? Geographically, so it's been twenty-seven years ago. So we're talking late nineties. Buzz, I'm going to say I'm going to say USA, just because like UN and all the mm-hmm. sort of international organisations <laughs> okay. in New York. Uh, it's incorrect, Enzo. I'll give you a go. Um, geographically, I would say uh, what country? Ah, uh, country. Um, it, 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 I think it, it must be an island nation. Um, but I don't think that's right. So no. I concede. No. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, maybe it's just me, my my nerdy kind of studies around climate change. But it, it was held in Germany. And for a bonus point, I had a bonus point for this question. And perhaps this will, uh, you, you, I can imagine you might be able to both get this. Uh, so Alok Sharma was the president for COP26, uh, as UK was kind of the host country. Uh, so, who was the uh, president of the first COP held in Germany? So, what year? What year is it? Just nineteen ninety five. Nineteen ninety five. I'm just going to go with Angela Merkel just to be safe. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was Angela Merkel. Yeah, she was yeah. the environment oh, minister at the time, and she was the, the first president of the first COP. That's really interesting. Uh, yeah. So that that ties is. it a one all. All right. Uh, question three. Uh, so it's quite a broad question, I suppose. But can you tell me the name? of the agreement, so to speak, that was achieved at COP26, and like, tell me a little bit about it. because oh, I know the Paris Agreement's one before, and it's obviously <laughs> not going to be the Paris Agreement. Um, I'm going <laughs> to... You can buzz in. <laughs> uh, I don't... Well, I assume it could be like something to do with Glasgow, obviously, probably Glasgow Agreement, I guess. Um, but was, I'm assuming it was about the temperature, about limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees. That was a big thing, from what I remember everyone was talking about so some sort of global initiative to keep emissions down to try and we'll, 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 we'll give you the point I mean you didn't quite the, you didn't quite get the nomenclature so it's the Glasgow Climate Pact okay so yeah, you're, you're broadly speaking you were there and like you said it was basically a a check up from Paris where you know, world leaders and countries were everywhere agreed to limit warming to 1.5 degrees and it was kind of checking up on our ambitions and kind of Raising yeah, the level yeah, of yeah. ambition. Up the around mm. there. Nice. That takes us 2-1 to Will. <laughs> <laughs> Question four. What is the, the big topic of discussion at COP26? 
27 this year. I'm looking for three specific words. Be- um, I would say loss and damage. Correct. Uh, is that it? Yeah, right, loss and damage. Uh, and you, but you can tell us a little bit yeah. about that and what that is. Well, loss and damage is it's basically what's happening as a result of um, climate change, particularly what most uh, experienced in um, the more global southern countries. So, um, so as you'd imagine, as the you know, as climate. Um, as temperatures increase, some dry parts of the world are getting drier. You know, mm-hmm. rainfall-dependent communities are seeing less and less rain. So that is part of the damage that's taking place, and the loss that's resulting is loss of livelihoods, losses mm-hmm. of um, but you it's, know, yeah. It's all about um, yeah. you know, uh, it being equitable mm-hmm. uh, and justice in a lot of ways. In that, historically, it's Western countries, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, that have yeah, emitted yeah. the most emissions, mm-hmm. but we don't all experience climate change the same geographically across the world. And actually, countries in the global s- south, so to speak, um, experience it more intense than they have been you yeah. know, for decades now. Yeah. Um, yeah, at levels that only we're kind of starting to see, as it yeah. were. Um, so yeah, it's that loss and damage and reparations almost for historic climate change yeah. emissions. Uh, so that ties it a tool, which is because <laughs> we have one more question. Uh, so, uh, who is the sponsor, the main sponsor of COP27? Buzz. Coca-Cola, because he can't stop telling me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, go on, uh, Zemzi, you can tell us perhaps why, uh, why that's been so controversial, why that's been big in the news, briefly. Well, I mean, it's because, as we all know, Coca-Cola being one of the biggest brands, biggest companies in the world, um, it uses a lot of plastic in its products right so it's, it's the largest yeah, producer of yeah, plastic yeah yeah full yeah. stop in the world there we go right so that is big controversy environmentalists around the world are saying hang on what what is this the greenwashing on a grand scale or what's going on or is this so, a company legitimate trying to yeah so that's improve the, its ways exactly and its values? exactly so yeah yeah that's that's the big controversy wow at cop Blobbers. Now you you have a bit of a flavour for cops and conferences and what all these things mean. And so on with this episode of The Green Blob. The Green Blob. The attack on nature is real. We should be very proud of the cleanliness of British politics. And today I'm going to be pouring actual liquid human onto a Captain Tom Memorial. They're on a gravy train for heaven's sake. It's the tofu eating do you think there's any coming back from this? I don't think so. We must use this opportunity to create a more equal world. The Green Blob. So, the first thing I wanted to speak about was we want to hear from you guys, the Green Bloblers, listening to this episode. So we want you guys to send us your, your questions, your comments, your reflections. Uh, and we promise to answer every single one and discuss that in the podcast. Uh, it's a bold commitment. <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, this is when we get flooded with yeah, hundreds and thousands. Um, yeah. But no, we, we welcome your comments and your questions. Uh, and we want to hear from you. Uh, Will, perhaps you can speak a little bit on that? Oh, I think it'd just be interesting to get more voices. Because obviously we're limited in, in our own knowledge and there's so much stuff to talk about. Mm. So I'm sure lots of people have their own thoughts and feelings about climate change and how it impacts them personally or their community or their interests and their futures so yeah. i think it's something that affects everyone and therefore as we talked before about getting more people involved and more and contributing to the discussions absolutely I, I don't think i could have said it much better myself climate change is 
you know, this huge umbrella issue. Uh, and it's really important to talk about it, uh, but also to you know, tackle it uh, in a really diverse, kind of representative way. So we want to hear from all sections of society and all the bloggers listening as to what your thoughts and opinions are um, to give us a, a different perspective uh, and to hear what you'd like to hear uh, from us talking about. Um, so you can get in contact with us at the green blob pod at gmail.com or on social media at green blob underscore pod and that's on twitter and instagram so we hope to hear from you uh and now uh i guess a little flashback to last week's episode um so like i said uh, last week there was this man paul joseph watson uh who i introduced as a political commentator uh, when we were discussing just stop oil uh, and he had a big social media following, or has. And to give you some more context as to who he is, Wikipedia, the source of all trustworthy information, <laughs> describes him as a far-right YouTuber, radio host, and conspiracy theorist. Uh, and we'll just listen to the clip again that we played from last week, just to jog our memories. No damage to the painting whatsoever. Here's the point. They don't care about enlisting the support of the general public because they don't need it. The establishment they claim to oppose is already enacting everything they're calling for net zero banning petrol and diesel cars carbon tax social credit scores obliterating livestock farmers it's all being rammed through already just stop oil an extinction rebellion a shock troops for globalist technocrats already enforcing the same agenda they're not there to persuade the general public they're there to terrify them into compliance so thankfully our very own william lear has a keen interest in all things conspiracy and misinformation. Uh, I must admit he was rather annoyed at me that I covered this topic last week uh, without him. So <laughs> here's your chance, Will. Can you unmuddy the waters for us? Who is this man? So before we get into who Paul Joseph Watson is, um, just a bit of context. So before this podcast, me and Torin during lockdown did a podcast which I led, which was called Into the Schlaffyverse, where we looked at um, Christian nationalist um, figures in America um, and the podcast ended up focusing on the 2020 presidential election and January 6th. And just, just to clarify, Blobbers, it, there was an, we were in lockdown, and I was locked down with Will, bombarded with conspiracy theories from the right wing of America, and there was, there was no escape. <laughs> <laughs> but So one of the episodes on the show, um, you might remember, Torin, we looked at Alex Jones, who is perhaps the most famous right-wing conspiracy theorist in the US. Mm. And the reason we looked at this was because Ed Martin, this guy we were looking at, um, guest appeared on the show to promote rallies in the lead-up to what became January 6th. Um, well, the, the, the whole Stop the Steal movement. Yes, it's all about mm. stopping the steal and electoral fraud and mm. believing that Biden um, saw the election, which I don't know about you, but it seems to still be a thing. Well, c- categorically, is untrue. And yes, still a, still yeah. a huge issue uh, in American politics at the moment. It's not something that's just you know, gone away at all. No. So I'm just going to play a little clip from our own podcast, or our previous podcast, um, <laughs> where we were listening to Alex Jones. We were worried the UN had this on the drawing board. Now the New York Times says the UN should intervene. I love how, well, all the articles so far he's used to back up his point so he's speaking yes and uh, articles pop up on the screen to kind of back up what he's talking yeah. about and they're all infowars articles i say can you see who this one's written by by paul joseph watson so there we have <laughs> Torin whitehead saying paul joseph watson so wow we haven't encountered him before Torin. <laughs> that was something i was com- 
completely not aware of exactly that's, that's so funny listening to a clip of myself from I mean what two, two, two years yeah, ago less now. than two years ago yeah, yeah. saying Paul saying Joseph Paul, Watson Paul Joseph Watson so, well, there you go so <laughs> the reason why Paul Joseph Watson came up in that is because he was he was a contributing editor at Infowars so he's British from uh, born in Sheffield but he worked for Alex Jones and still sort of works for Alex Jones um, so can, can we just quickly give people some context as to who Alex Jones is? Yes. So he is a ra- or largely radio. He does a radio show um, called Infowars, and it's just a lot of um, mm. coverage of um, recent events and stuff, but all through a very strong um, conspiratorial lens. So you probably have heard recently he faced two court cases, and there's another one ongoing to do with Sandy Hook, which was a, a school shooting in the US, and. Alex Jones on his show which was broadcast on radio on YouTube and his own website consistently denied um, or questioned the course mm. of events um, suggesting that the children didn't know children died in this and mm. all sorts yeah. of horrible things and that also escalated to his listeners harassing these parents of who lost their well, children of course this has led to this huge lawsuit uh, 965 million US dollars that he's got to pay to kind of these these families Mm. as a result of his misinformation and false claims yeah just just awful behaviour and stoking kind of the fires Mm. of his supporters and harassing these poor people so Paul Joseph Watson for context was someone who who worked quite closely with Alex Jones and interestingly he was very he pushed back a lot on the whole Sandy Hook stuff so it's come out through the court case that he was someone who kept trying to tell Alex drop it this is not good this is going to cause a lot of issues for the company and so forth um, yeah so that's a bit of context as to who Paul Joseph Watson is Is he's a bit like Alex Jones in that he deals a lot of conspiracy, conspiracy theories and so forth And but yeah. the issue with him is he's still on YouTube um, which is and he's still he sort of tread the line much more carefully than mm. a lot of other people in the field or in that area um, which is why he's still Mm. comes across well, and, and he has right. a big following as we heard listening to his clip last week and it, it was very derogatory and also very not humorous that's the wrong word but you know he, he's kind of taking the mick out of people yeah yes. um, and mocking really you know, yeah just, mocking yeah, yes. yeah 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 so I was interested in, where did you come across that clip Twitter you, yeah I uh, when I was be. doing research about Just Stop Oil mm. and looking for kind of alternative narratives mm. uh he, he popped up because I think the big thing is I don't know if any of you are very familiar with I don't think there are that many climate change denialist figures in the UK per se I mean Nigel Farage perhaps is Piers Corbyn well. famously Piers from Argentina well. <laughs> but he's but they're quite fringe figures and I think mm. it's interesting that to be aware that there are people out there who are on the fringe of political discourse their ideas do seep in so for example Paul Joseph Watson is someone who comes up quite regularly and he's had a lot of influence on uh, political discourse. So I don't know if you remember in 2020 that the whole thing about Hillary Clinton being ill, that was something which Paul Joseph Watson started. He, his stuff seeps in and you say, you you just took him, oh, he's a political commentator, he's a bit fun, whatever, but there is other stuff going on and he's... Yeah, well, from, from watching that clip, yeah. despite my uh, encounter with him virtually two years prior in, in the, in the Shalafi-verse... Um, yeah, his Twitter profile advertised himself as a political commentator. I could tell from the clip that you know his views were very derogatory, um, but you know from his following and you know, the views that clip got, it was perhaps quite representative of how a certain portion of the population might feel mm. about an issue. But obviously, very dangerous narratives. 
So he's got 1.9 million subscribers, which is a lot but also not a lot, but then it's it's where that stuff mm. then gets laundered and processed, I think is quite interesting. Um, but moving on from Portress Watson, I think we've covered him well. Do you know where the term green blob came from? No, I don't. Where because, did that come from? <laughs> so, well, I would have said Jacob Rees-Mogg, but I'm guessing there's... As I always find when I speak to you about <laughs> conspiracy things, there's just a, a web of kind of people and traces that like it, it, it's the, like tracing the origin of it becomes kind of quite significant yeah. so the earliest reference i found is to do with owen patterson who you might remember is the man who had to resign coming from what position last uh, autumn to mm. do with lobbying so well, he's the one yeah. who kick-started the whole sort of collapse of the boris johnson government i was gonna say I, when i think of owen patterson i kind of think about the beginning of that turmoil is that kind of eventually brought down boris johnson so he defi- defined the green blob as the mutually supportive network of environmental pressure groups renewable energy companies and some public officials who keep each other well supplied with lavish funds scare stories and green tape so that is the <laughs> that is brilliant <laughs> i'm i'm so happy we right. have a, a very clear definition of what the green blob is um so so that's the only re- that's the only reference i could find with um, patterson that's the earliest reference i found for that however there are lots of use of the green blob as a term by another man called james dellingpole who is someone i've become quite interested in in recent weeks or well, months actually and uh, and, and who, so is, who he, is he he for well, well, this is where you can see blob is that you just with Will when you speak conspiracy theory you just slowly enter down this rabbit hole he creates his own little <laughs> twists and turns yeah so do you remember there's there was a new site there's still a new site functioning new site called Breitbart which is what Steve Bannon made his name for um, was Steve very, Bannon who is was chief political strategist to Donald Trump and still a major figure on that right wing f- that coalesced around mm. Trump and promoting yeah um, sort of culture war stuff so he ran this website called Breitbart, which was a news a news site with all the stories of very this big right-wing twist. So the former London executive editor, so the guy who ran the London office, called uh, this guy James Dellingpole, who also writes for The Spectator, which is a right-wing newspaper in the UK. So it's James Dellingpole is British. Um, and the Daily Express, Daily Mail, The Times, The Telegraph. So he's, he's quite... He, he's well-connected well in the yeah. journal... In the journal, in the right-wing journalosphere. He's... I think in more recent since COVID, he's he's gone down a massive rabbit hole. And has become very extreme and bizarre. Um, so I think he's being shunned a bit more. But out, so I, he looks into him a bit more to do with his climate change stuff. So he say, he wrote a lot of articles talking about the green blob. So he's also written two books to do with um, the green blob, as it were. One of them is called Watermelons: How Environmentalists Are Killing the Planet, Destroying the Economy, and Stealing Your Children's Future. Which was released 11 September what? 2012. <laughs> Literally, sorry. Can we just, get some, re- future? I mean, <laughs> Can we just get some reaction for that first? <laughs> yeah, that is unbelievable. I mean, how does he even justify that that last part, especially you know, stealing your children's future? I just can't add it up, you know? If you think that's bad, so his book he released two years later in 2014 is called The Little Green Book of Eco Fascism The Plan <laughs> to Frighten Your Kids, Drive Up Energy Costs, and Hike Your Taxes. Wow. Available in paperback. Well, all those things are happening. Has, has he got a point? <laughs> so I think it's. Oh, that, I mean, you just I mean, like Zenzo said that you just wonder how how do they conceive these narratives and justify them and find evidence for them that 
well, I think we need to buy these books and have a little read. But the main oh, thing, gosh. the main thing I'd say is both with Paul Joseph Watson and with James Dellingpole is that their big thing is the idea of a sort of globalist conspiracy, the idea that governments and are individually and collectively working to sort of steal our freedoms and ruin our futures and sort of encourage sort of LGBT rights and other stuff which they see as negative and harmful to their understanding of like the family and stuff like that. So it's all sort of a, a reactionary conservatism which is what's driving them and I think that's what's driving their um, hostility to climate change. They think it's all this effort by governments and NGOs and so forth to say steal, steal our kids' futures and hike taxes and mm. drive up energy costs and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're really just preying on, you know, um, doubt, if you think about it. Yeah. You know, because anything you hear um, for the first time, you know, your sixth or whatever sense might say, well, I need to dig into this a bit more and find out for myself. But then if you if you prey on that and actually, you know, you, you start planting ideas into that uh, sense that people naturally have, and then you just plant new narratives that are just counter what is being presented then you you make that the default and that's what that's what well, they're well that was the whole yeah. playbook around uh, the tobacco industry yeah. and how they found scientists and researchers who thought that smoking you know counter to popular belief that smoking wasn't a health problem and right. that it was completely fine and this was all fake news and so then the tobacco industry gave them a lot of money <laughs> to promote their research and to get out there and see those kinds yeah. of kind of seeds of doubt mm-hmm. uh, which then kind of opens the narrative discussion when actually you know it, it's a closed case yeah and then the, the oil industry it, it's been shown there's a really good podcast series on on bbc sounds that uh i'll, I'll put in the link mm-hmm. for this this episode which kind of explains how the oil industry have done the same thing with climate change to, to deny it and slow it down action on it and it's yeah it, it's shocking and it's it's all about kind of playing on doubt yeah. and uncertainty it, it is it is and i think another thing is also they're saying that climate change isn't happening, which I think for a lot of people is quite appealing. The idea that no, the, the environment isn't collapsing, we aren't sort of heading towards this apocalyptic mm. future. And if you, I think a lot of people take comfort in the idea that no, actually it's not happening. It's, it, they, they feel empowered. And <laughs> well, I suppose even, e- even when you have someone saying, you know, this is apocalyptic and, you know, we're, we're in a lot of trouble, and then you've got someone saying, oh, it's not happening. And then perhaps you just from that sit somewhere in the middle and it's like oh you know maybe this is a problem but it's obviously not a big a deal as this person's making out mm. so you, you then kind of have a much more kind of middle ground because what did the UN secretary say this week or something about like a roller coaster to hell wasn't it, it was no, no really... more quizzes <laughs> <laughs> I don't know the answer <laughs> I think it was, something, it was something like a roller coaster yeah. to hell and it was just a very mm. the, the, the language and rhetoric around it is becoming more extreme from I think from both sides but I think it's but again I think it's people looking at the science and going this is terrifying we need to make take action which is what obviously yeah. cop is all about mm. yeah and i mean and it's what all the just stop oil protests are yeah. about right it's people who have looked at the science and gone this is terrifying why have we still not done something we need to act and that actually gives us a nice little segue into <laughs> our next part of this art podcast which is going back to cop uh, after that little interlude on conspiracy theories <laughs> And so the the first question I really wanted to ask uh, to you was: Is COP an effective way for us as a global community to tackle the climate crisis? Because I suppose this has been a big part of Just Stop Oil, right? The inaction. You know, there's been 27 COPs. The science has been you know clear 
that this is happening and yet it was only COP26 last year yeah. where fossil fuels were first put in a global kind of pact yeah. around climate change which just seems bonkers when it's been clear for so long that fossil fuels are yeah, yeah. <laughs> driving climate change so so is that kind of uh, global kind of uh, system for dealing with climate crisis effective is it is it working um i would say it's 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 doing enough to um maintain consciousness of what's before us and you know it's very easy to um yeah just dismiss all of this as you know like you say you know um scaremongering you know and uh, you know scientists you know uh, predicting doom etc but if we it's important to maintain um platforms where we keep tracking and reporting and pushing for commitments because um it is happening and um and admittedly you know more geographies or you know parts of the world are seeing the effects more than others so um, I think this is important for that consciousness to to constantly be revived at such institutions or at such meetings because that's when you see it for the first time that, okay, something is happening, it's unusual. And, you know, um, if you look at what happened in the UK during the summer, right, some mm-hmm. of those fires and, you know, some... some you know, some some images that, you know, seem to suggest there's a drought in the UK. That was, I think that was very unusual for this part of the world. Mm. And I'm not saying that's immediately what climate change is. And, uh, you know, I'm not using that to scare people but, or anything. But, 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 but they, yeah. what you've just done is, <laughs> you've said these things are happening because of climate change, yeah. these more extreme things. And then you've done the classic kind of scientist thing of, oh, but, you know, it's, well, you can't kind of... You see, because because we we're, it's, a, it's a delicate line that you're walking because... You know, it's easy to be dismissed as, oh, you know, they're just jumping on the fact that the weather patterns changed this year, so they're calling it climate change. That's proper scaremongering. That's what they do. But you you want to, I think as a, as a person who's, you know, interested in climate change and wants people to do something about it, you want to at least create that curiosity. Them say, look, just look around you. Are things still normal? If not, then are you, why, why don't you try and find out why? So if if this summer wasn't normal, then... You know, as a person living in this country, you should try and look into it and say, what actually happened in the summer? You know, like, <laughs> is this a pattern? Is there someone that can inform me? So, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's copies, looking at historic yeah. trends exactly. of yeah. temperatures and weather yeah. events and yeah. rainfall. Yeah. Um, but it's also that you can, uh, scientists, oh, I don't know the exact method. I actually wrote an article <laughs> about it a couple of years ago about um, a statistical method that scientists employ to categorically prove yeah. that weather events are x percentage more likely because of the climate crisis and you know human induced warming of the planet Mm -hmm. um and yeah i know there were articles out about kind of the record temperatures we had that led to i believe record uh deaths from excess kind of heat yeah um and you know droughts and food that these things were inexplicably linked to climate change Mm -hmm. and they were more severe um, and lasted longer the drought as a result yeah, so I think COP uh, to to sort of mm, yes, bring, it, bring it back. To yeah, COP. <laughs> bring it back to COP. So COP is important for that, right? I, I would say that's what COP needs to do more. It needs to talk about this issue or this crisis in relatable ways to populations. To say, if Rishi is, is in Egypt talking about COP, he should be talking about how you know the climate change is affecting the UK and in relatable terms. Don't make, don't make it too scientific. Yes, we get one point five, but. What does that mean to the ordinary person on the street, you know, busy trying to, you know, survive the, you know, um, cost of living crisis, you know, they can easily dismiss that as, oh, it's more science, it's, you know, governments need to sort that out. But I think it's everyone's well, it, responsibility. It, it, it needs yeah. to become, 
tangible, yes. doesn't it? Yeah. Which is yeah. why you've almost had this delay of action in mm. the West, really, because yeah. Yeah. in the yeah. UK, for example, we are experiencing climate change, mm-hmm. um, you know, as we've just talked about in the summer. Yeah. But it's it's less evident in our everyday lives compared yeah. to other places yes. yeah. in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that communication aspect is really important. But in terms of all our kind of solid global agreements for action that lead to long-term investment and kind of you know real world changes um what do you think will well i always think back to the paris agreement and the fact that the united states under donald trump pulled out and then the fact that no one else followed the united states and you think normally about america and its influence on the world and there's a big fear that that might trigger a domino effect and we didn't see that and with Biden being back in the White House, they then again reaffirm their commitments. And Biden's obviously been very pro, um, very aware of the need to combat climate change. So it gives gives me hope, at least in that respect, that there is this global um, forum where people and countries are working together and are all committed to making a difference. Mm-hmm. No, definitely, but I suppose that's part of it as well. It's because it's kind of such a wide-ranging big issue and you're trying to bring so many different stakeholders together who, you know, it's not just countries and global leaders, you know, there's delegates from fossil fuels, there's scientists, there's people from, you know, all kind of sectors and walks of life there. Um, And it's trying to bring all these people together to kind of come up with tangible solutions. And I I suppose this brings us on to our next question, which is, you know, it is essentially in capitalist world we live in it's show me the money yeah yeah, (laughs) um and so i want to talk about the reports by the bbc yesterday of the sharp rise in fossil fuel industry delegates at the climate summit um so it's not just scientists and global leaders um industry kind of experts go as well and so at last year's summit in glasgow uh, a similar analysis of officials uh, showed that there were 503 delegates uh, connected to fossil fuels and this year, that's gone up, uh, and the figure has gone up to 636. And there's one quote which really caught my eye from one observer at COP27, which was, COP27 looks like a fossil fuel industry trade show, which is when it's you have a global convention trying to you know, sort out climate change. That's really worrying. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to get both your reactions to that and opinions. Well, I'd be interested to know how they how they sell themselves I'm sure a lot of them are engaged in greenwashing because you see a lot of stuff about Shell sort of pushing can you just quickly for anyone that doesn't know tell us what greenwashing is so it's the from what I understand it as you might need to correct me on this is the effort to dress up and promote your own green credentials where they may actually in reality be lacking um, so you might say like Shell might say oh we're committing to all these renewable stuff for doing that but that might not be quite mm. the full story Shell's actually a really good one because I've had this dilemma mm. just to go on off on a slight <laughs> tangent um, where they have a carbon offsetting scheme if you buy your petrol through them and you're a member uh, and they'll offset your petrol um, but it's whether or not are these projects actually doing what they're claiming to do mm. is it actually offsetting that amount or is it just enabling Shell to greenwash their activities and say well you know we, yeah. we can keep extracting lots of oil because we're offsetting it and people support this um, yeah. 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 and uh, I read a few articles around it and it was just saying that you know, these projects aren't, aren't working it's not effective and it is just a greenwashing tactic yeah it, it does become greenwashing if that's all they're doing, right? Uh, um, mm. Because there, there are many measures out there. Um, I mean, I can't list them all right now, but, you know, if a company is just saying that they're 
or if it appears that they're just doing one thing, such as you know carbon offsetting, then that's that is greenwashing because they are capable of doing more. They do have the funds, and um, and like any problem, you know, of such a you know complex nature, you can't just say by acting in one way you are you're making a significant contribution to solving it. You have to attack it from different angles because that's what all of this is about. That's what these conferences are about. So if you have the capability and if you're in a, you know such a, a an emitter at such a scale, then you should be you know showing how many different things you are actually doing to contribute to you know um, fixing this problem. Because mm-hmm. if it's just carbon upsetting, you know me buying fuel and you know feeling good that you know I'm helping you contribute, then that I'm afraid it's just not good enough. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. it is worth scrutiny. Yeah, and it's it's in other aspects of everyday life, which you know I think hopefully it's bothers you can relate to where. Uh, you know, clothes, for example, is something we all buy. Yeah. Um, and you know, the, it's the slow fashion, fast fashion narratives. And you see fast fashion companies like ASOS, who will have a sustainable or green collection, but you, you really have to question when you look at the price of it, where it's been produced, yeah. the materials, etc. How sustainable is that? I mean, sustainable is such a yeah. loose term, right? People yeah. throw it around these days, and. The, the general person who you know will just see that and go, oh, that's fantastic! It's sustainable, green. I'm supporting something positive here. Mm-hmm. Um, when in reality, you know, we we know, and you bloggers will yeah. now know. I encourage you to go do your own research as well. That you know these really don't hold up when you kind of rigorously kind of test how sustainable. Yeah, they yeah. Are. Um, yeah, yeah. But back to your point um, on the delegates. You know, like I mm. think, um, yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it does make you question you know the uh, you know whether or not they're genuine and 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 whether or not they're actually capturing the process such an important platform um but i always think that you know for people that have something to hide if they bring themselves to a platform then it, the onus is on us you know everyone else who's truly you know um dedicated to you know to stopping such such capture and to stopping emissions to now you know, thoroughly scrutinize them and expose anything that they might be doing inconsistently or hiding, right? Mm. Because it's one thing to, you know, to emit uh, a lot of carbon into the atmosphere, um, uh, doing so quietly and no one is really paying attention to you. But if you show up at, you know, clearly an event that's trying to stop what you're doing, then now, you know, we should take that lead and say, okay, so who are these 503? Why are they increasing? And what are they doing? You know, let's create, let's create a regular, you know, um, investigation about their work. And, you, you know, let's pressure them to, to actually show up at these events as people that are, or as institutions that are making a real contribution and not, you know, a group that's intimidating the effort because it's intimidating if you know 603 um, you know fossil fuel based companies are showing up and it's not really clear what they're contributing to are they well, I, I suppose yeah. like, like I was saying about COP26 where it's the first time fossil fuels have been mentioned in yeah. a kind of global agreement on climate change mm-hmm. um, you know when you've got 503 <laughs> powerful <laughs> fossil fuel lobbyists who are yeah. going well if you want this funding for your political campaign or I'm, I'm not saying yeah, that's yeah, exactly yeah. what's happening but, yeah, but you know it's, it's those kind of pressures and kind of competing narratives which then yeah. makes it more difficult for a more ambitious clear action on climate change and you know that's really yeah. dangerous and really slowing things down mm-hmm. 
I think it's interesting. It lends at least it, them turning out the fact they're not boycotting it or ignoring it shows that it's something that they are concerned about and aware of. In that, no, I, I I think it's the opposite. I think okay. it's that global momentum is building towards action, and we we need to go to this to slow down. Oh yeah, I think that yeah, that's yeah. Limit. I, I I I might be wrong. There might be people going from fossil yeah. fuel companies who are generally like this is something you I'm know, concerned about and want to work with but I, I think it's more like going to slow right. down action and you know now that you've mentioned that um, yeah I yeah, I think there is credibility to that statement and the possibility of such a scenario playing out because where things stand particularly with this loss and damage uh, narrative is that you know uh, a lot of Western countries, Western media um, are questioning whether or not they really should be contributing to loss and damage because it feels like you know the whole colonialist reparations argument, and you know that's uh, you know that's a terrible term, but like that's a, a can of worms that one wants to <laughs> to open up. So you know there are people that think that by you know paying or contributing to uh, reducing or, or stalling uh, or even reversing loss and damage, yeah, inadvertently saying okay we did kind of ruin things even historically because mm. it goes back to you know industrial revolutions and, 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 and there's such cetera. a stigma around yeah. that I mean understandably yeah. but yeah. it's also just like categorically it happens yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's a global issue true but what that does not it creates an opportunity for, for, for these delegates to say well if if these Western countries won't help, you know, I could give you X amount and just don't push this agenda anymore. Let because there are countries that I mean, there are countries that are willing to, you know, to to play along with um, some of these global emitters as long as they put money on the table. So it does come back to money, unfortunately, you know. And actually, as you know, global powers saying, "Look, guys, uh, we get it. Things are bad, but we have plans in place and money is committed." Um, let's stick to the cause because if that doesn't come out clearly, then that's what the 603 or whatever number delegates are capable of. You know, um, there are some unscrupulous types that you know they're they're so locked into, you know, capitalism in the way that it is. And if 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 the powers that be don't actually say, look, we are going to counter and we're going to actually meet our commitments, then they are creating opportunities for for these delegates. So I think. Yeah, it sounds conspiratorial, but um, I think there's something there, you know. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if there's a scandal where, mm. you know, okay. some countries withdraw and say, well, things will be fine. We've got these partners that will pay for mm. for us to be quiet. Yeah, I yeah. think I think that's a good point to end on. But before we do end, let's get a yes or no definitive answer from you both. Will, do you think COP is an effective way to tackle the climate crisis? I think it is, because I don't see what the alternative is, in a way. I think there needs to be this global initiative and collective action and I think if you don't have that you say whether it's, it works or not it's, it's what we're relying on at the yeah. end of the day yeah okay and Zenzo same question yeah yes I agree uh, it's it's needed you know without it we will we, we risk slipping back into mm. you know far worse scenarios it may be an imperfect system yeah but it's an annual reminder and attempt to raise ambitions and raise action on, yeah. on climate change mm-hmm. Um Cool. Well, thank you, Green Blobbers, for joining us for another episode. Uh, thank you, Will, my co-host. Uh, and thank you, Zenzo. Yeah, thanks for having me. Always, always really interesting. <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Green Blob. You are evidently very blobbish. Research for this podcast was done by myself, Torrin Whitehead, and my co-host, William Lear. With special thanks to friend of the podcast, Zenzo Zabanda, for joining us. 
Music was produced by William Lear. And a special thanks to KCL Radio for making all this possible. Tune in next week for another episode of The Green Blob. But in the meantime, get in contact at thegreenblobpod at gmail.com or tweet us at greenblob underscore pod. Bye.